0: The one constant every time I come home is I've always missed the mountains, the backbone of the world, the mistakis. Now, as we go forward, it's more important for us to always keep those wild places available for our members and our people to reconnect with who we are as human beings. Hear the word conservation and wildlands, wilderness it's like all or nothing. It's either you you own the land, you can extrapolate the resources, or you leave it completely untouched. You don't interact with it. You look, but don't take. And those two things are very foreign because Blackfeet, we never did either of those. We always interacted.
1: Welcome to the Stories for Action podcast, the Life in the Land series, where we hear from folks that live and work within the landscapes of Montana Gaining perspectives that can be applied globally on the realistic challenges, successes, and what is needed to move forward in a positive relationship with the land and one another in an ever-changing world. I'm your host, Laura Tomov. The Life in the Land project will result in a series of films and podcasts that hear from folks in different regions of Montana about the success of collaborative and locally-led work on the landscape, and improving connections amongst one another as well as with the land to benefit the health of people and place. Our aim with Life in the Land is to show the nuance and complexities in the needs of a healthy landscape and communities and to reinforce the importance of having a conversation with one another, truly listening and creating relationships to work through our challenges. This episode and our previous episode will be the only two shows in the series that will release before the full project's completion. The four Life in the Land films and accompanying 19 podcast episodes will be released later this spring. Today's episode, as well as the film that will center on voices from the Blackfeet Nation is co-produced by Leilani Upham with Iron Shield Creative. In today's episode, we hear from Lauren Monroe Jr. who's Anskapi Pikani, a Blackfeet Nation tribal member. Lauren grew up and now resides on Blackfeet Homelands, what is now known as Browning, Montana, on the Blackfeet Reservation, which is where we had this conversation with him last fall in October of 2021. He currently serves as secretary on the Blackfeet Tribal Business Council. Lauren is also an artist, a film director, and previously worked for Blackfeet Nation Fish and Wildlife Department in bear management and bear conflict prevention. Lauren speaks with us about his own connection to the land and the critical nature of having Blackfeet leadership in regional land management, including the stewardship of the Badger Two medicine. Lauren also shares the hope he holds for his community, seeing them move forward in ways that carry on traditional connections and life ways for the health of the people and the land.
0: My relationship with the land um, started when I was a boy. I was raised by my grandparents on uh, Cabane Creek I was very fortunate to live out in the country, as we call it, and I think that really became my classroom when it came to the landscapes that surrounded me. As I got older, my father, uh, we would go hunting and you know, get wood and things like that, get ready for winter. I think it was that point in time when I realized how special the land was to me as a person, and uh, I could see why it was obviously so important to our ancestors, not just for our ability to survive on it, and it's given us everything in the past. But it's also, I think, very spiritual. You know, you don't need to have a complete ceremony on it. But if you go out, um, out on the landscape, whether it's fishing or hunting, or if it's just out enjoying it, it really has the ability to transform things. And it's something I've carried through my entire life, even till now. I, of course, left and went to school. I lived in urban settings. But the one constant every time I come home is I've always missed the mountains, the backbone of the world, the mistakis. You know, looking at our relationship with our land base here, uh, from a historical perspective, you know, Blackfoot culture, we've always been here, you know, we never were moved. Um, there were attempts at it, of course, and our territory extended well beyond what we have now uh, in this almost the entire state of Montana. Um, and now we got this little corner. And our ancestors at the time fought very hard to keep it such you know there were attempts at, to whittle it down even further from what it is now i could see that you know as a person alive now i understood why they fought so hard you know to keep it intact and i don't have all the answers i don't have the entire all the questions uh answered you know from a cultural perspective but just being a practical human being practical person i grew up in this age that was able to go out and experience and, and indulge myself in the land itself to you know, breathe freely, um, as my ancestors did, was is uh, very empowering. It's something I think you can only get to that, I guess, frame of mind, is if you, you go out there and do it yourself. You can't be taught it, you can't be educated on it. You have to have your own relationship with it, you know, as our ancestors did, because at that time, everything they had um, came from the land at that time. Now, as we go forward, it's more important for us to always keep those wild places available for our members and, our people to reconnect with who we are as a, I guess, as people, as humans, as human beings.
1: And with your experience, you know, what were the ways that you learned about those stories of the land and traditions, you know, were they mostly passed on from family? Did you seek them out yourself? You know, what was your experience of how you received those stories?
0: Yeah, there were overlaying stories of like the landscapes and different parts where I was able to enjoy locally. Like I said, I grew up in Cupbank Creek, my grandparents, and that was uh, heavy runner land, my ancestors. It was, uh, you know, allotted to them, original allotments, and it's lands that I still occupy. It was passed down to me from my grandfather, from his grandmother, Katie, Running Wolf Heavy Runner. And so we had our local stories of just that area that was told amongst our family. So, what became there was practical knowledge of who was there, what families lived there. And then from there, it continued to grow as I became a hunter and I guess we call it an outdoorsman, um, you know, going to different parts of the territory or the reservation and learning more about, say, specific cultural stories too about the landscape. Um, there was a lot of stories too about like, say, Chief Mountain, you know, down to Heart Butte Mountain, Yellow Mountain, all these areas have specific stories and I I don't, I do not know them all. I have heard of the ones I've encountered along the lines through either families, family members, friends or just elders, you know, in passing to add to my own history and knowledge of areas. Myself, I am very interested in that history, you know, it tells our story um, and it keeps us grounded with the landscape, with the language, culture and history. It's something, it's a continual journey, of course, uh, of of finding these stories out. But there's such a history here, like I said, from a Blackfoot historical perspective to a practical history of people who have lived here, you know, and non-members that lived here too, you know, on Bain Creek that no longer are here, you know, that have passed on or they've moved on. Their families don't exist anymore, possibly. And just that practical knowledge is interesting in itself, you know, so.
1: And with you know, these, these realities of modern day lifestyles, there's a lot of elements that seemingly combat um, the traditional life ways of the Blackfeet, you know, everything from allotments and the way that, you know, community structures changed and concepts such as agriculture as a, as a leader and as a community member of the Blackfeet Nation. What are ways that you see that the community can incorporate these traditional life ways and cultures going forward.
0: I think like historically, of course, the Blackfoot were plains people, you know, we were like a war tribe and relied heavily on the bison and the buffalo to, you know, sustain us. And we traveled freely through the Montana, through our territory, Blackfoot territory. Of course, you know, colonization and decimation of the bison. We were forced to rely on government rationing and selling off whatever lands we had left. And of course they the government wanted us to become farmers and ranchers and that was started you know and that became the time of the allotments you know each family was given x amount of land to survive on to to grow crops to to raise beef to become white men basically and some of it was successful and some of it wasn't you know um, the land itself could only sustain x amount um, and so now fast forward we have from what i've seen like I was saying earlier, I was very fortunate to live on my ancestral family lands. There was a lot of people at the beginning of the reservation period, 1890s, 1900s, that, in order to survive, they had to sell off whatever lands they had to survive um, from, you know, local shopkeepers and mercantiles here at the time, um, and so they traded their land for food to survive, and so now they don't have that land anymore, you know. But there is tribal land they can access, but. I still feel that at this point in time, I think to reconnect um, our children and our future to the lands itself, to the tribal lands, is really important. Uh, There is something there that is very, I guess not primal, but it's part of us Blackfoot people or indigenous people that have grown with the land and grown to survive with it. Now, in order to do that, we have, I think we need to have more programs and land-based programs to get people into the land itself, whether you're hunting or hiking, or you're just learning more about the plants and animals from the cultural perspective, with tribal history attached to it. Right now, uh, one of the things I've seen is the bison. You know, we always talk about the bi- return of the bison. And the tribe's bison herd is grown. It's been started twice. I think this is the third time. But the push is to have bison uh, against the eastern edge of the park. Uh, Glacier Park, which the Black sea Reservation borders. And there's some pushback against it, I feel, because it's a direct competition for some of the grass. And I think it also takes our own education of um, of our own people to understand that. And I feel that it's too foreign, too foreign of a concept to even accept at this point in time. Myself, I feel it should be that way. I think that it's possible to access both places. We can both develop and grow economically. From a cattle producer perspective but also we can retain that right to allowing the bison to survive too in its own capacity to varying degrees i believe just like anything that happened in the late 1800s you know the bison the indian and grizzly bear and all these things that were not useful were decimated and i feel that we are still tied to those things you know because i don't know what you call it destiny or if it's just the way it is um are we are entwined with it and I think that we have a responsibility to make sure those animals that were here end with us too, not in a way that we're all going to end, but they should be with us and be written to our story continually because that's how it was created for us by our cultural like history and the stories that were told to me that we were created you know with with everything here, and it's our responsibility to make sure it all continues with us under our guidance
1: and can you tell me some about the INI initiative? I know there's a lot of moving parts, but just kind of an overview of what that initiative is and the partnerships that are happening to help that project to move forward.
0: So the INE initiative is a mission by a lot of different agencies and also the Blackfoot Confederacy, uh, I think Glacier Park, Waterton National Park, basically to restore bison along the western edge of the mountains. Uh, the the Rocky Mountains it's a uh, an idea that I think a lot of people are vested interest in of course you got the Blackfoot perspective but you also have the ecological perspective from the the parks perspective and interested people in general seeing that some of this stuff might right some of the wrongs of history and at this point in time it's still continuing there's a lot of moving factors and it's still being supported by a lot of people you know and so. That's, that's the initiative kind of in a nutshell. Um, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, there's a lot of people that are really pushing for different things. And then there's a lot of people that are fully behind it to make sure it happens, you know.
1: Do you mind just sharing um, the different entities that are partnering in this work, um, just so folks get an idea of how many moving parts there are to this?
0: To my knowledge and the people I've worked with and my part in it, you know, of course the Tribes Bison um, our own tribal bison uh, program with Reverend Carlson. Uh, You got Glacier National Park, uh, Waterton, uh, the Blackfoot Confederacy, which consists of our sister tribes across the border, the Bloods, the the Blackfoots, and the Northern Pagani. And of course, other NGOs that are, I think both sides of the border. Um, And I think grassroots too, with the people on the ground. Uh, I know people I speak with in my Day to day at times when a subject comes up, a lot of them are very supportive of it and they feel it's it's something that should be done. So.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see the progress of that as it as it moves forward. Um, and do you mind sharing some about the Badger to Medicine, if you can start by just sharing some of what that area is for the Blackfeet Nation and that and that connection?
0: So the Badger to Medicine area. Is also, to my knowledge, is also known as the Cedar Strip. Now, the Cedar Strip was an agreement in 1896 and it was by the United States uh, government and the Blackfeet people. And at that time, uh, 1870, we had the Baker Massacre, which was 250 plus women, children, and old men that were killed by the U.S. Calvary. And in 1883, 1884, we had the starvation winter, and at that time there were no bison left on the plains and we were starving to death and over I think 600 Blackfeet starved to death in old agency and so by the agreement of 1896 came around basically there was mineral interest um, that they may have found um, which is now Glacier National Park and basically at the end of the day the government and outside interest wanted it from the Blackfeet and so that's how it came to be and it was according to my history it was leased we leased it but according to the government, it was sold for one and a half million dollars. And those were paid out in annuities that were to give us food, basically, from starving to death at the time. So it was un- made under duress. And it was under great hesitation that leaders at the time did what they had to do, what they felt they had to do. Going forward, eventually Glacier Na- they didn't find a lot of silver and gold interests in there. Um, and eventually it turned into Glacier National Park. And part of that agreement we made was we would retain hunting, fishing, and all of our rights, we'd still access it. And it was just the rocks basically is what we sold or leased. So what became Glacier Park kind of eliminated a lot of those rights. Of course, we can't go and hunt in there. We can't go, you know, well, I guess you could kind of fish, but not commercially and do all these different things in there. And we were kind of kept out of it. And now the Cedar Strip kind of comprises that Badger to Medicine part. And that didn't come, become a park and it was managed by the Forest Service and it still is. Um, and so that history, we still feel that it's ours. The Blackfeet people felt it was taken from us wrongfully and it was not right. And so in the last few years, well in the last 20 or 30 years there's been, um, I think with the Reagan administration there was a oil development and exploration that were allowed to begin there and a lot of it was leased out. And this is a story older than myself. Even, literally, it was, it's older than myself. And so our elders at the time and people interest at the time fought those oil leases. They felt that it was too, it was too pure, it was too culturally significant and it was too special to drill for oil. You know, it's right at the, right, right in the mountains, right in the mountains of Glacier Park. And they fought and they, they won for the most part. Um, uh, well, one is still in question. I think the Solanex lease, uh, it was canceled, uh, but still it can be reversed and we know that. Um, so we never hold our breath too much on it. Continuing that saga to now, you have younger generations. I think picking up the fight and the idea with land back that we should ask for the return of it, just that absolute return of the Cedar strip to the Blackfeet Tribe, because of what it's how significant it is to us as a people. And it's not just like I said, all of Montana at one time was considered Blackfoot territory, but this one was. It and that's never sat well with my people, um, and as myself as I learned more of it, you know just and how we were cheated out of things. And, you know, it's an unfortunate thing history, but uh, it's, a, it's a thing that we have to con- contend with. And so now the tribe is seeking, well, at the minimum, is co-management of the area where we have our own uh, codes and laws and, you know, assurances and, and, and management of it, but also just the return of it uh, because the Blackfeet have managed this land for thousands of years. and. We feel like we can do that now and so right now that's what we're up against is pushing and educating not just non-members but our own people too you know i there was a time when i didn't know what i knew now and to let people know that these are still battles we have to push and fight you know so the Cedar strip slash badger to medicine is still there and like i said people have been fighting for either the cancellation of the oil leases or the return of the land now it's return of the land so we have full management and I, I really hope that justice prevails at the end of the day and that the blackfeet at least one of those things that were, that we were wronged long so many years ago can be righted at this point in time. it has to, you know, there's no other way.
1: So just for my own personal knowledge yeah. too, is that proposed cultural heritage area that right. was originally proposed by
0: Tesla right. is that Solana's table? It's or is still that? on there. He hasn't I think it's still there. I just read a news article just the other day that is still there and he hasn't pushed it through again. And that was for co-management, but we felt the tribal leadership at the time felt that we were still not getting what we wanted out of it. And so we're, like I said, pushing for the, the absolute return of it, um, the entire entirety of it for full management.
1: So with that, tell me the, the significance of the Blackfeet people truly leading that effort and what that really looks like and right. not just having a token seat at
0: the table. Right. Sort of thing. So at this time, I think in history, we were, so, we were dictated for so long by the U.S. government. We were obviously a very independent people. And then we became reliant on the government. And now we're in an era, era of uh, self-determination. We are in control of our own destiny. And I feel it's appropriate. And we're going to have growing pains, I'm sure, just like any uh, any government. But it's time that we learn to manage our our resources, and our lands. And it's been going that way for a long time. We already do, you know, we already do that. And uh, some of them are very successful, you know, and there was previous uh, bills and previous discussions where we would be, it would be a co-management of sorts, but there's been strong discussion and thought that it should be a total management of it. You know, where we do lead to charge and where we do lead the management and the discussions, all of them, you know, not just a, a wooden Indian being there in a corner, but we're actually a participant. And I think we're at that time in history, at least from the Blackfeet perspective, I feel that we need to learn to do those things now, you know, otherwise we'll be reliant forever, you know.
1: Can you speak some to uh, how the Seated Strip impacts the Blackfeet community today? You know, this isn't just a story or event of the past that lives in a removed place in history um, of how how that removal continues to impact the community today.
0: You know, growing up, I'd ask my mother, I said, those mountains are those ours, Do those belong to us. She said, yeah, those are our mountains, you know. And I was like oh great i can't wait to go back in there it's so beautiful you know i then it was longer you know much later when i grew up and i learned that, that it was actually owned by the u.s government as glacier national park and uh at that point i was like oh my mother lied to me you know how could you know but in her eyes they are ours they will always be ours not that we own it like from western perspective but we belonged to those mountains as they belong to us they were intertwined in our history and so with the seated strip like I said, the 1896 agreement that became Glacier Park and Badger 2 Medicine, I feel it's one of those things that need to be corrected um, because it eats at our, I think our Blackfoot identity is our soul. It's like, we see it every single day and it's like, we're being taunted. This was yours. This was your territory, but it's no longer yours. You know, you, know, you have to adopt these rules, these regulations. You're only allowed X amount of time in here. You're only allowed to do these X amount of things if we allow it. And, there's no greater insult than having to wake up and see that every day you know spiritually we're connected to them we'll always be connected our dna intertwines with the rivers and the mud and the dirt and the animals you know we know that we were taught that and it's in our history and so correcting this wrong it has to happen in a way it has to you know some of our younger generations do not know some of this history but it's important to them to be taught it and so they know that, you know, when we were starving and destitute, you know, at that time, 1896, you got to put yourself in that, the time of the bison are gone, you know, you were trying to survive with nothing, you know, and we were forced at that time to give up one more thing, you know, we've given up everything, we paid for everything, we gave up all of Montana, and some of it was just taken from us, it wasn't even negotiated, it was executive order by presidents you know and I couldn't imagine the anguish and the the sadness probably from some of those leaders that were sitting in that meeting when they said we're gonna we want to go negotiate for the sale of the mountains you know I couldn't imagine having to sit there being told well it's just the rocks you can go hunt in there you can get the timber you can do what you need to go in there and conduct your ceremonies and enjoy it still and then later became a glacier park and then that stopped altogether. It's like you get whittled down and it's just an absolute travesty, you know, in my head. And it frustrates me. And I look at our, the pictures and I read the names of the people that were there. And even now, you know, like my grandfather and I'm telling us those stories that it was peak to peak, you know, there were, you know, survey markers was peak to peak, you know, but then the, the markers, the boundary moved out, you know, and there was, uh, muddled like areas of, of of where the boundaries were where it could be a mile or two mile and that's a lot of land you know and people not understanding that it was a lease even it was never a sale it was a lease I mean just uh, there are so many things that happened you know but that one like I said you wake up and you you think about it you're like wow every single day you see it and it's a lie yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking when you really look at it and you can't you know, that's the thing, too. You can't let it get, get you down, though. No. That's the part that you try to tell people to. It's like, no, you could, still, you could still push for the right, for it to be righted. And that's always the fight of every generation is to get a little bit further back from what was taken. And right now, of course, it's our language and culture and our history being taught in the schools and stuff. And, you know, now it's the return of the Badger itself, you know, the seed Strip and making sure that we are a part of it, just like how we've always been.
1: Thank you for sharing that. And do you have any other messages for the Blackfeet community? Not only in, you know, connecting to that place, but to support the work that you're speaking to, and um, to stay updated on on the progress of that.
0: I think, yeah, of course, educating yourself uh, as best you can, and reaching out to people who are knowledgeable about the, uh, the issue, and you know, just continuing to be part of it, you know, being part of, of, of the landscape itself and maintaining that connection for families, too, is really important. And don't feel awkward going into Glacier Park. Don't feel awkward going to Badger to Medicine. That's our territory. It's always been our territory. And to make that connection, don't feel like you don't belong, you know, in Blackfoot territory, in our own territory. And from a, you know, political perspective and, and the things we're trying to push now is uh, we're hoping to get more effort built like with the, with the movement and stuff and supporting it and, and all this stuff and I'll, that'll be coming out you know but just knowing that they belong you know that they belong in that landscape and you
1: know with with the land with the animals you know uh, you and I had spoken on the phone about that interactive right. relationship with the land right. you know and that for the Blackfeet people it was never, you know, draw a circle around it and don't touch. Right. So just this relationship that the Blackfeet people hold that, that requires interactive right ways with the land. Right, 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 everywhere. right,
0: right. With that thought, like you said, like with the cultural a blackfoot indigenous perspective, how we view landscapes and things like that, we were a part of it. And historically we never owned it, it was communal, it was everybody, it was all the land, we lived on it, the, the elk, the deer, antelope, bison, all that, grizzly bear. They all interacted and they needed it too. And that's how it was taught from a Blackfoot perspective, like most cult, indigenous cultures, I'm sure. And of course, with colonization, we, just, we, we got introduced to the idea of ownership. Well, this is mine. This little corner, I'm going to do everything I want. And it's my right, you know, it's my right. And, in the middle of that though i think what happens and i think happens now is when we go after like the badger to medicine or different areas we see hear the word conservation and wildlands wild wilderness and you know we don't allow non-motorized use and things like that so it's it, like it's like all or nothing it's either you you own the land you can extrapolate the resources you could do whatever you want destroy destroy whatever or you leave it completely untouched. You don't interact with it. You look but don't take. And those two things are very, I think, historically and even now, practically too, are kind of foreign because Blackfeet. We never did either of those. We always interacted, and I think trying to marry that with some of our partners and out there where they feel that in order to have this pristine landscape, you can't interact with it. But that doesn't 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 go well with Blackfoot way of life. Even now in this day and age with moderate with iPhones and all that and hunting, we still interact with it. It's just with the I think it's within reason, um, not commercialization, but being able to do what we need to do to conduct our ceremonies, you know. Um, or if you're not a ceremonial person to enjoy it itself, you know. And that component I think is pretty blackfoot, I wanna say Blackfoot, but it's indigenous, I'm sure. But we respect the land, we use what we need to use, but we don't over overreach to the point where it's gonna, it's gonna mess things up, basically. Um, and that's a practical knowledge that, you know, we have to teach one another with our own tribal members and that we can use this, we can hunt it, but we don't wanna overhunt, we don't wanna overextract. And, you know, we're basically, that's our Blackfoot, I don't wanna say right, but it's our responsibility to do those things, to interact too. We are meant to be that way.
1: And with that, you know, within Blackfeet Nation, there's just so much amazing holistic work happening, you know, and, and a lot of them overlap amongst themselves and within different components of the community. But if you can just kind of, you know, you don't have to go listing them in detail, but just in general, you know, some of the things that you're witnessing within the communities that are helping the health of the land and the community to move forward in a good way and are marrying those traditional values into the current work and going forward.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, there's, um, I think there's new initiatives, both homegrown with our own understanding of what works and hasn't worked, but also things that we've, you know, learned from the outside different programs, different things that we can utilize and incorporate with our own tribal structure. Land use, more uh, more effective land use, uh, programs that might have something in common, talking to each other, you know, being able to really work well together, you know, for a common goal, you know, when they can come together, if they can't, they can't, you know. I see that come through. Uh, an example would be our Yellow Mountain, Chief Mountain area, which is, uh, just by Glacier Park on Northwest Territory, bordering in Canada. And for a long time, there's a lot of tribal land. There's some tribal members that own that land too, but for a long time that land was leased out uh, for summer cattle and pasture. And what ends up happening is uh, it became overgrazed. And so there's direct competition with our wildlife up there, elk, deer, moose, you know. And so what we did this year from a political uh, policy Uh, perspective is we it wasn't bid out no one bid on it and so we put it in a uh, owner's use so I think it was like 22,000 acres roughly I think and we restricted it from being bid out for grazing a cattle in hopes that one the grass will return to its natural state as best it could Um, two our wildlife elk and deer and moose and whatever else that forage on it even grizzly bears you know will be able to bound back and it's an interesting perspective too because that was a combination of, you know, the Fish and Wildlife Department, Black Fish and Wildlife Department, myself, uh, working with them and, and the BIA and other interested parties to coming together and saying, you know what, this is such a special area, let's put it aside. Let's try to figure out what it can do for us and see how we can make sure this stays a special spot, you know, and also work with the Lisi so they to continually get their their payments from the land itself, but we do right by the landscape and wildlife. Right now, that's what we've done. And we worked with NGOs that saw the benefit. They will pay for the leases to the tribal members, so they are going to get their funding no matter what. And, you know, we start putting a plan together that allows people to use this respectfully because Two or three topics that came up is Chief Mountain is right there. It's right outside of Blackfeet so in Glacier Park. And it's one of our very special mountains to Blackfeet culture. We actually asked they don't climb it out of respect, you know, but they, it's in Glacier Park, so we don't have any say over that. We just recommend it. But what came of this is, is being able to uh, foster a position where it's a, we called it maybe the Chief Mountain Guardian, a Chief Mountain Ranger, whatever you want to call it, whatever terminology, but it's someone up there who can help guide and educate people on just the land, but also Blackfoot culture and sensitivity. That maybe this isn't the mountain right now you want to climb, or if it is, maybe you have a guide and there's ways to do it appropriately. So it's not a something for you to conquer when it's so special to us, you know, and we only allow, or, you know, we only, you know, want everything to be conducted in, in a good way, I guess. And so all that, th- all that came through, you know, in the last year and it's a special area, and like I said, so that's what we're moving towards. But you gotta think it's not conservation where we won't be able to hunt. We allow people to hunt in there just like anything. It's just allowing space for the animals to, re- to recover and to see what it looks like in the long term, you know? And so that knowledge I think is really needed for us and our own selves remind us that we have a stewardship and two, that it's okay to work with NGOs as long as those mission statements align. And Blackfeet are leading, which of course, Blackfeet are leading this.
1: Yeah. No, that's so great. The work that you're saying they're able to move forward, um, you know, in that area around Yellow Mountain and and Chief Mountain. So really neat. And on that, are there any messages that you would have for non-Native folks that are partnering with work that's happening with the tribes, you know, to keep in mind with their approach in that partnership? Um, Any anything else that you'd like to put out there for folks?
0: Oh, sure. You know, I think it's good to find common ground. I mean, find common ground, first of all. They're, not everyone's going to agree, you know, that's the thing. I respect the land that you're on and the people you're working with. Um, there's Also respect the process, too. Not everyone's going to have an answer every time you guys have, everyone has a meeting. But I think through the process, you'll find that at the end of the day is the answers and the truth that everyone wants to see at the end to flourish, you know. I think one thing that in my own experience uh, in life before I was on council, just as a human being, as a Blackfoot, as a native person, is you know, the savior complex that we're going to come save you. That doesn't work. It always has to come from the people or from the land or the, the grassroots, you know, because they will make sure that it stays for a long call after, you know, NGOs or whoever outside entities leave, that they we'll make sure that gets done. But when that happens, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's it's a good thing, you know, at times and stuff, but as long as it's led by the people itself that you're gonna try to represent.
1: For sure. And this question comes from uh, Leilani. If you can share any specific initiatives that tribal leadership is taking on to help to improve that connection of the people with the health of the landscape, or what are some things that you would like to see more of?
0: I think right now, connecting people land from, I guess, from a government perspective is getting people the information of all the lands they can access. Uh, the Eloise Cabell settlement with the Department of Interior opened up a lot of lands to Blackfeet. The tribe owns it, which means that the tribe members owned it. And getting that data out there, that information, where people can access and recreate and interact with the lands a lot easier than they used to. You know? Like I was saying earlier, a lot of families, unfortunately, in history, uh, were taken advantage of by people You know, trading off their land. Uh, I mean, trading them groceries for them to survive, but taking their land base because they had no other reason, way, other way to survive. And so you got, uh, you know, unfortunately, the whole generations of family or kids or whoever who don't have access to the outside. You know? And I think initiatives like that probably should happen uh, a lot more now that we have more of a land base we've always had a good land base but i'd like to see more interaction i think with uh either school programs or like I say tribal program or the fish wife program any of these programs bringing kids out and introducing them to the landscapes uh, that itself will start a lifelong journey and love and understanding that will bring culture and language and history all in one place that alone is probably one of the most important and instrumental tools, I think, uh, from my own perspective, and my own understanding, because that's what taught me. And I think that's the best thing you can do is get them out there, get them saying, Hey, this is your land. This is what you belong. We got to take care of it. What's the future Um, or, and, and just enjoy it. We all need it. We all need these wild places and open spaces. And I'd like to see that happen in my time.
1: Yeah, no, it's super inspiring to hear about, you know, Um, We're speaking with Jesse DeRozier and just what he sees in, you know, bringing the Blackfeet language to young people and what that does and the excitement that that builds and also the inspiration that he sees in young people being excited about being on the land and interacting with the land and caring for it. And any other final messages that you have for folks in the Blackfeet community or humanity in general, you know, and anything else that you'd like to get out there?
0: Uh, you know, I guess this one thing that was on my mind lately is, you know, we have these different movements like Land Back that started, you know, of course, it came to Blackfeet country. And we, we see it in our own perspective, in our own lens through Badger to Medicine slash Seated Strip. And you see the return of like, the language and the culture and, and all these different things. And, you know, when I, I did work up in Canada, I think it was one of my first prime ministers, but I, I'll be butchering this quote, but he I believe he said that when you no longer practice your language, your culture, or you know, your history, you stop being a people. And it's completely changed my perspective on everything, you know. And it's sad because so much was taken from us. And we traded everything, you know, uh, our ancestors did. And they gave us a lot. They fought for us, too. But now we, we, it's like you see that return, you know, we see return the language, return the culture and history and all those things being taught in the schools. And people are learning their history and their own family uh, history. And it's an interesting time because when I was growing up, those weren't quite the thing. You know, it was 20 years ago when I was in high school and uh, we didn't have a lot of Blackfoot culture or history or tribal government, none of those things. We were taught Western history, which is, you know, what it is. But now it's OK to learn those things. Yeah, it wasn't taught. It was, and it should have been because it's a rich history, cultural, of course, but just the history itself of Blackfoot place in, in Montana and things like that. It's a, it should have been taught. I think it is being taught now. We have a lot of Blackfoot teachers and instructors now. I think we have a lot more Blackfoot support at this time. But at my time, there wasn't very much. It's kind of exciting, you know. Uh, We got brought to the knife's edge, I think. And we're having a return of of those things, history and knowledge. um, It's still a fight, but it's hopeful.
1: Thank you so much to Lauren for sharing with us. In this episode's show notes, you can find links to find out more information on the things he mentioned, such as the INE initiative, the work around Yellow Mountain and Chief Mountain, and the transferring of grazing leases to let the land there rest, and the Badger 2 Medicine, including resources on traditional connections, the history, and updates on proposed legislation and ways to support these efforts. Thank you all so much for listening. This episode was recorded on the homelands of the Anskapi-Pakani, Blackfeet Nation, who have interacted with and stewarded the land since time immemorial. Today's episode is co-produced by Leilani Upham of Iron Shield Creative, and editing assistance was provided by Peyton Butler. Be sure to share these episodes with others and subscribe to hear more stories that create connections around a thriving planet. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories for Action and Twitter at Stories number 4 Action. Learn about all of our work at storiesforaction.org. You can browse inspiring stories from others, submit your own for us to share, and learn more about the Life in the Land Project. The Life in the Land Project is made possible with support from Bioregions International, Bird Conservancy of the Rockies, the Wilberforce Foundation, World Wildlife Fund, Winnit Aces, Northern Great Plains Joint Venture, Crocus Foundation, Heart of the Rockies, the Montana Watershed Coordination Council, Rancher Stewardship Alliance, Lower Clark Fork Watershed Group, Big Hole Watershed Committee, Bill Long and Billy Miller, Marina Weatherly, Joan and Cliff Montaigne, the Milton Ranch, Jim Scott, Gary Whitted, Arthur Lubis, Rodney Fry, and Chris Boyer. If you're interested in supporting this work with a tax-deductible contribution, you can find that link on our site. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our community, where our mission is to use the power of storytelling to share human connection and advance a thriving planet for all.